0: Um, sometimes I'll say in the church I grew up with, you couldn't smoke, drink or chew or date girls who do, but you could be a bigot. And that was OK. And I don't I don't think those people hated God. I don't think they understood the depth of their own prejudice and the depth of their own bigotry because of what uh, Joey is saying. It was ingrained in a culture.
1: everybody, and welcome to The Intersection, a podcast that takes a real look at how race and relationships intersect. We will look at how our unique and diverse lives intersect with thousands of people on a regular basis, and how the gospel intersects with each facet and issue that we face. Join us as we look at how we can set our eyes on the life of Christ as a source of compassion for each of our relationships. Our hosts include Pastor Jeff Bogue, Senior Pastor at Grace Church of Greater Akron, Bishop Joey Johnson, Senior Pastor at the House of the Lord, and Pastor Coach Kemp Boyd, Pastor and Executive Director for Love Akron. Keep listening as we cross paths on today's episode of The Intersection.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Intersection, where we are seeking to intersect with the lives not only of individuals, but also see how Jesus intersects us all together by exploring different topics that may challenge us or cause us to look at things, maybe from a different perspective or a different lens. And that's the fun thing about doing The Intersection podcast. I feel like right now, everybody in our society, we have these sides or these lines that we've drawn but I really believe Jesus wants us to create like this third space. And I feel like the intersection is a part of the creation of that third space to where we can have really honest dialogue with each other. And then when we get off, we get to pray together and still love each other through the conversation. And so along with me to go on this very, very courageous ride, we have Mr. Joy Johnson, Pastor Jeff Bogue, and also Dr. Hawk. Good afternoon, brothers. How are we? Good,
0: good. good Bye, well. Great,
2: great. As always, I want I want to let everybody know out there in man podcast world. Today is a very special day, not just because we're on again, but also we get to honor this year at our at our annual Love Akron Awards luncheon. Doctor, I want to say Doctor Jeff Bogue, Doctor Bishop Jeff Bogue, and Doctor Bishop. Joey Johnson, because they're going to be receiving an Allies Award because of the work they've done together over the past three years with things like the Intersection Podcast, but other things they've done for a long time that really doesn't get highlighted. But man, being in these meetings with them and getting to know them more, I see the impact they've made on the lives, not just of their own congregants, but on the lives throughout Summit County. So I want to say congratulations to you both. Um, Thank you for what you've meant to me personally and my own walk and my own journey as a leader here in Summit County, and thank you for always showing up for The Intersection.
0: Uh, it's it's my privilege, and I'm privileged to call Joey a friend for a long time. Back before these beards were so gray, <laughs> we, we knew each other and loved Akron together, so it's an honor. Uh, I feel the
3: same way it was before I even had a beard.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I, I'm uh, equally honored, and. Uh, Whoever nominated us, thank you. We hope we will make you proud.
2: Yeah. Awesome.
3: So today we're going to talk about a really challenging topic. And I I love
2: this topic because I love the challenge. But the premise of this episode is the color of God. So before I jump to you, Bishop, because I know many kind of brought you to us. Dr. Hawk, I'm going to come to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to come to you first, right? Um, Professor, theologian, all the stuff. When you, when you got the memo that we're leaning into the color of God, man, I want to know what was the first thing that came to your mind?
4: Oh, my. <laughs> well, the first thing that came to my mind is that uh, color as an index of humanity is, uh, uh, is an aspect of human existence, but not an attribute of the divine. Hmm. Mm. So um, I'm interested frankly in, in listening to the rest of you flesh out this idea, uh, of what color is God? Uh, s- certainly Jesus, when he stepped into our world, uh, stepped into uh, a community that uh, was was just different and distinct. From all other communities, as communities are, ethnic groups, he was Jewish, he was a uh, a member of a, a, a colonized people, he was uh, a lot of things, uh, and it seems to me that God's choice to enter into human existence, um, to enter into all of what it means to to be part of this world and all of the beauty and all of the mess that it's in, in a way said that, that all of these things that are fundamental to humanity, um, the way that we think of ourselves in, in in terms of gender and social class and ethnicity, um, all of these things are something that uh, God himself has stepped into, experienced in the person of Jesus Christ. He understands uh, what it means to be human and to live in a world of which God created to be beautifully and wonderfully diverse, but which sinful humanity has uh, looked at diversity and differences in terms of hierarchies and power and where you fit and how you fit. Um, so, those the, that that wonderful diversity of human beings uh, each with each with their treasures of their communities that I think were intended to complete and beautify the people of God uh, we have in our world seen those become boundaries and and uh, means of judgment and dividing and power and all of these other things so I'm starting to geek out and I'm so I'm gonna just step back a minute and and uh, I'm going to step in at, at again at a, at a particularly auspicious moment so I'm I'm interested in
3: Hart. <laughs> you, you guys what, gotta you pull were, me down you were bring you me were, to the ground. you are at waxing eloquent let, let me let me jump in for a moment since I'm the main uh, corporate here uh my, my calling is to provoke deep biblical consideration of biblical realities that people habitually prefer not to consider. This is stuff that people don't wanna think about, don't wanna deal with. And when we begin to talk about it, Dr. Hawk, you're hitting the nail on the head. When we begin to talk about God from an absolutist perspective and say, what color is God? We would answer all from a theological perspective. God has no color. He is not human. Um, He is divine. He's deity. And therefore color is not really relevant to him. The problem is that from that absolute perspective is not where we live. The question that we are that I, that I propose, and I'm really asking, is what color is God to us? What mm-hmm. color is He to the world? What color is He in America? When you have the original sin of America being slavery, which we don't want to consider, and that early uh, Christians believed that God was affirming their choice in slavery, that He was the one who was actually, in the Bible, affirmed slavery, then. God can only be white from that perspective. That's something that we habitually prefer not to consider, not to think about, and therefore would have very little perspective on, so how does a black man deal with a white God and a white church and a white interpretation of the Bible when he is facing that on an ongoing basis, but the white world can't even seem to talk about it, think about it, or entertain it?
0: Yeah, I think when uh when you asked that question, Camp of uh when we first chose this subject and you know, uh put it out so we could think about it, um, the first thing I thought of was uh a sandy blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh European featured portrait of Jesus that hung in our church basement. Mm. Y- you know, and and uh I'm I am sure it was put there with all of the best intentions. I don't think anybody was being a jerk or being cruel. Um, I think they, they didn't think through uh, what that portrait represented and didn't think through how that portrait would frame uh, uh, the perspective of God and the perspective of the people that God loves that are that are all around us. And so I was uh, raised by well-intentioned people who I think genuinely love God. And I I like to um, sometimes I'll say in the church I grew up with, you couldn't smoke, drink or chew or date girls who do, but you could be a bigot. And that was okay and i don't i don't think those people hated god i don't think they understood the depth of their own prejudice and the depth of their own bigotry because of what uh, joey is saying it was ingrained in a culture and um everything from a slave owner and master taking uh scriptural a scripture out of context saying you slaves should be submitting to me and be happy with what you're doing total abuse of scripture uh to um the, the very concept that there's a white church and a black church and a hispanic church and a chinese like that that flawed concept of itself that that god would view us that way so that was the first thing that came to my mind and um one of the things, like one of the things I've really appreciated about my friendship with Joey over the years, uh, we we tease him a lot. It, for those of you who are listening, if you if you know Bishop, you've gotten a book or twenty. You know, I can't keep up. Most well-read human being I've ever met in my life, genuinely is is Bishop, and um, he gave me uh, a book years ago that I read, and um, and what it did was it started to show in me these hidden prejudices. And one of the one of the scenarios in the book, I think I've talked about this before, was if you were sitting in a restaurant and a group of white teenagers walked in, what would you think? Um, I would think they're off school that day. If you're sitting in a restaurant and a group of black teenagers walked in, what would you think? And And the minute that question was asked to me, I'm like, oh, I would view that differently. Like I... I don't mean to, I don't want to, but I would view, I would tense up. I would have suspicion. I would, well, that, that whole bias is I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt in my church. I grew up in that whole bias was integrated into um, the way that, that we thought about God and the way that we think about God's people even the fact when you're telling a story um and you say, My friend from work, blah blah, and then you say, My other friend, he's the colored guy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it, there's there's not a a hard-hearted thing. It's an it's a, a bias that was put in. So your inability to empathize and sympathize, your inability to uh view the scripture really from its true cultural position. Um, is all of that is affected. And I'm, I'm, I keep saying this because I want my, my white friends not to be defensive. I don't, in this scenario I'm being very specific in this scenario, I don't think anybody was raising me to be a racist. Um, I I don't think they were raising, you know, we didn't have Klan rallies. We weren't that that's not the situation. I think they were raising me in the context that they were raised. And so that was the first thing that came to my mind when, when we talked about this, I'm like, yeah, that literally was hanging on the wall of my Sunday school room placed there by people who didn't mean as much as it meant but i I have to admit like that's important as a white person, as a North American person, as a person with a european uh mindset as opposed to a like i'm married I'm married to a Brazilian person uh my wife has a a a Brazilian South American cultural foundation. she sees things with the Lord differently because she just has that in her. So I think it's actually a very, very important conversation uh, because I, it it affects us more than we think it does. Um, and I think there's a defensiveness that says, I'm not a racist. My parents weren't racist. I, I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying like there was a foundation set and it affects your perspective and allowing that to be challenged actually helps you to understand the heart and mind of Jesus in a, in a broader and deeper way.
3: Dr. Jeff, you are smoking hot today. Uh, <laughs> you always are, but this, particularly today. One of the things that you mentioned, that picture of Jesus, I happen to have done a little research on this in my book um, on struggling to, to find a, a, an African-American identity, is the most viewed picture of Jesus in America. Wow. So it is everywhere. It has been reproduced. Originally, I was uh, part of Sunday uh, Southern Baptist um church uh, Sunday school literature, mm-hmm. and it has been reproduced millions and millions of times. that's the point. The point that you're making is a very excellent point, that when that's the picture of Jesus, that is virtually everywhere, and you recognize that Jesus is a Middle Eastern person, <laughs> you can't even see him. As a Middle Eastern person. Yeah. My my Catholic professors, when they would saying and came to teach at my church, said this, and it was just, it was just blew people away. They said, you know, you want to know the people who understand the Bible better than anybody in America. We give classes, we're on the college campus, and these folks get it immediately. You know who they are? Arabs.
0: Yeah. And they it said, wait, wait a minute.
3: Whoa, 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 whoa. How can they get it? Because it's very akin to their culture. Yeah. Well, in America, the only reason we're discussing this is what you're saying. We're not trying to make anybody racist or anything. We're trying to get you to think beyond where you are to understand why black people might be struggling at a certain level when we don't meet the white criteria. And many of us are trying to do that. We're trying to meet the white criteria. And. Uh, if I, I'll say something, we, we're in enough difficulty, but I'll say something else I said Sunday, because I'm, I'm going right now through the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And I'm talking about a suffering versus a non suffering church. If you're not suffering, you have no need for the Holy Ghost. Yeah, you have you, you have money, you have whatever you need to, to have life, you not, not. but if you're in a suffering context, you got to know that there is a God because you have to ask yourself a question. What kind of God allows me to suffer like this? And the answer, just so we know what it is, there is no answer. <laughs> yeah. You have to have a relationship with God that's greater than your suffering.
0: When, when you ask that question, uh, um, who understands him the most, That what I, I thought I was thinking... You said it better than I did. in Arab, I was thinking, an, opp- an oppressed Middle Eastern person would understand maybe clearest uh, because Jesus was oppressed. He was Middle Eastern. He was he was um, uh, he. We would consider him poor, and that he had no place to lay his head. You know, he he his his needs were his uh, food and shelter needs were kind of met at uh, met as he went. I think even for uh, a North American, uh, and I'll just say white church, I might think of Jesus first as like the the white guy with the blue eyes, the Baptist picture. The second way I would think of him, if you ask me that question, who understands it the most, I might say an Israeli. And I'm like, well, the the Jewish people didn't get him either <laughs> in, in the scripture, right? And so the, even the way that we would think of Israel today, um, because that's very much a focus of a lot of yeah. evangelicalism is pro-Israel. I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's a completely different conversation. But right. our minds would jump to that. Sure. And, and really what you need to think of is, is someone more akin uh, to uh, somebody in the Gaza Strip or somebody maybe in Iran or Iraq that... that that is coming from a position of powerlessness. And this is important because if you are powerless and then you walk into a city and they're trying to crown you king, the whole thought process that Jesus went through and what he said no to, to go to the cross, the whole idea that you're powerless, but you have power, but you deny the use of your own power, it, cha- it changes things in, in your understanding and it causes you to um, to understand the grace and, and even the power of the cross in a different way. Um, so like the, that's why this stuff is, is so important because it, it gives you uh, a deeper, a corrective uh, view of Christ, which then when Jesus says in John, he's like, I want you to love each other just as I have loved you well, I have to have the right view of Christ so that I, the just as part, so I can love my neighbor as I have been loved. And it it, it winds up being wildly important.
3: Well, I affirm you, brothers, because um, this kind of conversation people don't want to have. And when they do have it, folks start leaving their church because I'm not facing that. I'm not dealing with that. Um, And they don't want to do it. Dr. Hall, go ahead and jump back in
4: there. Well, I've just, uh, I've, I'm thinking this is this is a great freewheeling discussion, but I'm I'm going back to this picture of Jesus that is seen all over the place, and you know it just seems to me that one of the one of the differences between white Christians and uh, all other Christians in the United States, in a way, is that uh, you know we we white Christians live in an environment. I mean, this the the structures, the culture, the the basic ways of interacting in this culture are, have been established and continue to be maintained by white people. I mean, so generally speaking, this, this culture was structured to, you know, to act like white people act, think like white people act, uh, address the kind of topics, the issues that are important to white people. And so we can go through life as white, christians we can go through communities and we don't have to ever see things differently um because we're, we're in our you know our bubble is the bubble that pretty much encompasses things so um we mm-hmm. don't have to That's step probably. into spaces that are foreign and strange nope. and nope. even threatening we don't have to go places w- where we ha- are are confronted with difference confronted with people who have different experiences or experiences of suffering or struggle or whatever we just don't have to go in those spaces whereas if i can use the phrase people of color with respect to white people people of color have i mean that's where they live i mean they there's a you know you you just have to i mean you you're part of the white culture but you're also part of uh, you know a a a, a, a community that is always, in a sense, uh, having to negotiate the strangeness and, and all of this stuff. Yeah,
3: that- uh, Dr. Hawk, let, let, let me just say for a moment, because people don't know you as well as they know Jeff and I, and I don't know if they know Kemp at all, but that's, him, that's his problem, I'm not dealing with him. <laughs> um, um, th- they don't know that you, you walk in this space, that you deal with uh, American Indians in this space and that you deal with African Americans in this space. And so it just looks like you're a white professor sitting up (laughs) here with a white face who doesn't understand anything we're talking about. You're coming not from the church perspective, but you're coming from a a world perspective where you are dealing with and facing these. And I commend you um, for interacting with those. This becomes another major issue, what you just said, because when I start talking about this in many different contexts, people normally would say, You know, as a white person, you have no idea what it's like to be black. None. And what white Christians would say to me is, you have no idea what it means to be white. And I would have to say, no, you're wrong. Hmm.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: Whoops.
2: Bishop, we lose you.
0: That was the ultimate mic drop moment. Yeah, there <laughs> And
2: I'm out, and I'm out.
4: What? Well, that's, I, I, that's why it's in a way so I think it's so important, particularly for for white Christians to step into intentionally step into to uncom to spaces that are uncomfortable, engage absolutely. in dialogues that are uncomfortable, absolutely um, deal with questions that are uncomfortable, because we have to do that intentionally. Um, or or we're just gonna stay in our bubble. Yeah, uh, be, because again, I mean, so so, you know, I think for example, we, we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, when when white folk hear um, the word, I'm going to generalize here, but when a lot of folks that I know hear the word racism, they they define racism, they hear prejudice. And so when people want to mm. begin to talk about racism in American culture, to a, to a, a, a lot of, of, of white folks that I know, they hear, "Oh, you, you're saying I'm prejudiced? I'm not prejudiced." And there's a there's a sense in which the bubble is so kind of pervasive among us that that we that sometimes white people can't really see that that the issue is a lot goes a lot deeper.
3: Yeah,
0: uh, absolutely. Am I back? Then
4: prejudice.
3: Yes, you're back. Yeah, yeah. you're
0: all the, you're all the way back.
3: But I'm, I'm with Dr. Hawk. they can't see it, but I'm, I was making a point, and the point was simply, we grow up in a white world, mm-hmm. black folks. So we know what it's like to be white, to go to white schools, to do, have white teaching, to see the whole thing. Now, people say, we still don't know what it means to be white. I don't know what it feels like, but I know what the whole culture is, because that's the culture we live in. That's what we see, that's what we interact in. I have plenty of relationships with white folks but the average white person, 75%, have no meaningful relationship with a black person. Mm -hmm. So that makes it very, very different. And all we're trying to point that out is, as a common ground, as Dr. Hawk says, to walk in those places, to come together, so that we can begin to understand one another and we serve the same God in the same church.
0: Yeah, I I think when, when um, I think that that is critically important for people to understand that um if you are raised as a as a black person in a predominantly white country with a predominantly white culture, uh, you can you have to click in and out of your culture, so to say. Um, and so, the, and I can tell you as a white person, you're, you're looking and saying, it's weird. Like my, my uh, black friends or my Hispanic friends, when they're with their family, they act differently than they're with me. And, and you don't, you can, you can become um, uh bias or prejudice toward that and be like, wow, that's the way those Hispanics act. It's like, no, they, they were actually preferring you. <laughs> and so they were conforming or preferring it depends on how you want to say it um because they're they're just looking and saying you you won't understand us you know kind of a thing i think that's hugely important um i also think you've always called it the double
3: consciousness
0: the double consciousness, yeah like i'm 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 living in two worlds at once right to to make things function i think what um I think what we have discussed over the years here on this podcast that has been uh, helpful is I think white people, I know I would feel this way. When, When you look at me and say, it's what you were just saying, Dr. Hawk, when you look at me and say, well, here's what's wrong with you, I feel attacked. And I'm like, that's not what I meant or I don't think that way. How could you say that like it's, it's 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 a deep insult and it's and it's hurtful. I think the conversation and and unfortunately, usually the left or the right of something captures the language <laughs> and so it gets defined politically or whatever. I think what we have worked hard, ha- hard at here is saying um, let's let's understand a language the language of you don't see or this is a perspective is very different than um, the white church is racist. And I'm like, okay, if, if you're telling me I'm racist, I'm going to defense up. There's probably very few things you could say that are more insulting to someone than you're racist. If you're saying, um, hear me and understand me, uh, and and let's do that in relationship. I'm like that's a different conversation for me, and I and I think this color of God uh, topic is one of these ones that is really helpful, and it's actually a good bridge, because God isn't black, and he's not white. So like the getting and saying he you said it earlier, Joey. Like he God isn't a color, <laughs> he's divine. It real for me. It relaxes the political, call it the racial tension. And now I'm like, oh, my brother of a different color is struggling to understand God outside of his cultural context, just like I'm struggling to understand God outside of my cultural context. And it actually becomes a meeting ground. Yep. Uh, where where we're we're having the same struggle. And getting our head around a right perspective of God. But, but
3: Dr. Uh, Jeff, you're a lot different. You and Dr. Hawk are a lot different than yeah. you have a white person because there is an absolutist, a supremacist view of who God is that may be acknowledged or unacknowledged. I have a gentleman that I was talking to and interacting with. And he came to the point where he wanted to tell me, because of my black view of God, and all theology is contextual, that I was unsaved. And I I shared with him, uh, you know, you feel free to do that from your supremacy. I would never tell you you were unsaved. But uh, one writer said, I just read this week, the Romans viewed the cross from the top down the rest of the world viewed the cross from the bottom up yeah see how do you view it and so that's the supremacy that's the absolute that is the right answer and then all everybody else has if that's the right answer then the rest of us have to be wrong
4: and, and we're you, trying to figure out how
3: we deal with that
4: i think bishop you're 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 really drilling down to a a, a really important point i mean when when you are the the dominant voice in the culture when you have just the demographic or cultural powers and and, uh, abilities to say this is who we are this is where we go this is how we define things you're pretty much hardwired not to listen and and not to see um and, and and that's i think that's the challenge is is I think that uh, Pastor Jeff, uh, you were pointing to, which is how how you know how can we, you know, you know from our perspective, uh, from the white perspective, it, help people to begin to see and listen and 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 think about why that's important, uh, and think about why it, it's important to engage in conversations with with folks in perspective who who have very different experiences. Uh, of Christianity, of America, of God, and all of these things. because we're just we're just hardwired not to listen. We're hardwired not to see uh, because we don't have to.
0: And I think sometimes right. that's where a uh, a common ground conversation causes you to learn to listen to each other, and then it leads to the the more difficult, the higher level conversations. If if we if we come at an issue and say um, white evangelicalism is inherently biased and, and historically racist, <laughs> well you just you just push me way back. I'm like, wait a minute. If you come at a conversation and say God isn't black or white or Hispanic or Asian, let's have this common ground. It it changes things. Bishop, I was going to ask you. Um, When you talk about like this uh, cultural position of superiority, something like that, could you give us examples of like how that would show up in a pulpit and how that would be heard in a pew that would like be common to our ear and we don't recognize that that's kind of what's happening at that moment?
2: You're going to answer this one and then we're going to wrap up because we're going to come back to part two of this.
0: Okay. I
3: I, I think I can give you one that's fairly easy, um, I, I wanna say before I give you that example, that black people can also be prejudice and also be, have a supremacist perspective, but coming from another angle. Yeah. Because you feel rejected and therefore you're operating from that perspective. But one, one would be, these are things that are, we barely can even think about culturally because they are so normative. We want to think about it. But when you start talking about abortion, hmm. you are talking about a white evangelical right perspective of what should be done and what should not be done and who should agree with that and who should not agree with it. And your very salvation is based upon your perspective, which then becomes left, right, Democrat, Republic. It just starts to drill down. And after, after a while, you're so separated, you're so far away from each other, not recognizing that we're really talking about views of sanctity of life. That's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So theology, this is one we should talk about at some point. It impacts us deeply. All theology is contextual. Now, I will tell you right now, I'm dealing with pastors and white pastors who do not believe that, because I just preached a sermon on Sunday not too long ago. I asked some very difficult questions, and a white pastor answered them for me in email on Monday morning and said, I don't know what you're talking about. The Bible is right. It has nothing to do with black, white, or anything else. And I said to myself, that's how a white man would answer. Hmm. Because you're answering in the absolute supremacy, this is right or wrong. How would I answer that from underneath when I don't have the right to state what's right or wrong?
0: So, in that abortion example, uh, how would that be viewed from on top or underneath? What? How would that contrast?
3: in in a, in, in a white church, it is absolute abortion is wrong. In a Black church where you are dealing with folks who are uh, been set up by the uh, the administration, set up by the government with certain welfare programs that take away your rights if you do certain things or if you get married, you lose this or it it becomes a whole different question.
4: Hmm.
3: It is not that simple to talk about abortion or what you should do when you are talking about a poor person in the ghetto who is not operating from a white perspective
0: so the ramifications of those convictions ha- are completely different
3: they're completely different
0: so it, it becomes a it, to
3: view it, them differently
0: yeah so the, a, a simplified answer a complicated answer even if you landed on the sanctity of life, like getting to and dealing with that landing point are so different. Right. So I
3: asked the question, let me give you one of the questions I asked on Sunday morning, so you'll know what it was. The question was, if your master in slavery said you can't get married and you had sex anyway and jumped the broom and said, we're married regardless of what he says. Who sets the moral authority in that situation? Mm-hmm. And you know, my members were, well, please answer the question. I said, no.
0: <laughs> I
3: won't answer it. You got to think that through. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. I I think, think that that's where I, I think that um here, Kemp, I'll I'll tell you what to talk on next time. This time. <laughs> <laughs> this uh Uh this uh um viewing it from the top viewing it from the bottom is a very very fascinating conversation and and um long before we get to maybe theological absolutes um even let's just pretend we share that theological absolute getting there leading people there and having them navigate that through um and what's happening is um even as our culture, North American culture changes, because it, I remember 20 years ago, there uh, a big fight happened uh, in my circles because a, uh, a couple got married without a marriage license from the state of Ohio. And so were they in, in morality and did you submit to the government and all that kind of stuff? Well, here 20 years later, when the state of Ohio says you can marry a man, you can marry a woman that used to be a man with like, where's their moral thought? Who cares? So it's those kind of things are, um, I think are really, really important conversations. And I, I would go back and I would say um, that starts to be common ground. They're small. They're, they're not the conversation, but they're a way that people can talk to each other other and understand each other that literally teaches them the skill to listen and to, and to understand. And I, I just think that from the top, from the bottom thing um, is a, is a really powerful uh, conversation to have. So it's good. Thank you.
2: Well, well listen, thank you, uh, Dr. Hawk, Dr. Bishop Jeff Bogue, Dr. Bishop Joey Johnson, just thank you so much for your candor and just taking us into this journey of challenge of looking at the color of God through these different perspectives. And so next time we're going to continue with kind of like part two of this topic of the color of God viewing top bottom, viewing the top bottom. And so I just want to, I want to give a shout out to Pastor Jeff, he says, hey, man, this is what he's learned from Bishop Johnson. This is what I do
0: that. I'm just this. allowing him to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I actually learned from Bishop Johnson. <laughs> I but get hey, to do the things he allows me to get to do. Hey, that's the go. real there,
2: lesson. There you go. <laughs> hey, I want to thank our audience so much for being on this journey with us that we call the intersection. And what we're simply what we're trying to do is we're trying to see how we intersect with the lives of each other's through the perspective of Jesus and what does that look like, creating this third space and not simply abiding inside. But how do we abide in Jesus by creating this third space? And this is exactly what the intersection is looking to do. So thank you so much. If you have any questions or comments for us here for any of our our guests and what we do here, you can reach us at the intersection at loveacron.com. And you can subscribe and follow us on The Intersection through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or YouTube. And we look forward to seeing you next time at The Intersection. God bless you. Thank you so much, brothers, for your time.
1: Thanks again for listening to today's episode of The Intersection, where we look at how everything intersects and brings us all back to Jesus. You can subscribe and follow us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. You can reach out to us with questions or comments at intersection at loveakron.com. That's intersection at loveakron.com. And we'll see you next time at the intersection.